Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. And don't hurt. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking 2020's Arch Enemy. We assume if you're listening to this episode, you've already seen the movie. And neither of us had seen the movie before, right? No, we had seen the trailer and then I picked it at random. Okay, like what made you think of this one? At the time, I had IMDb open and it was like in the sidebar of like, I don't know, recent searches or something like that. Oh, okay. So there's really no motivational logic train that brought me to it. It was in front of me. Yeah, uh, like I saw the trailer not that long ago, and I thought it was a very recent film. I had no idea it had already been released over a year ago. Technically two now, I guess. This is our first episode of 2022. Oh yeah, Happy New Year, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I get lost sometimes, I apologize. That's fine. (laughs) Um, Do you have any tidbits on this movie, or are we just going to jump into it? Because I really don't. Uh, I, I do have a fair amount, but it kind of touches on stuff that happens in the movie. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that at the end. Okie dokie. We'll, we'll jump right into it. But honestly, I have a question right off the bat after I start talking. So you good to go? I mean, you t- that's confusing because you were already talking, but you said you have a question after you start talking, but you were already talking. Expect a lot of that today. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, the opening title screen presents us with a a color palette that remains throughout the entire film. Expect a lot of pink, blue, and purple. Um, But what do you think of the animation that we get next? Uh, To me, it screams motion comic. Like, um, was it uh, something Freighter from the Watchmen uh, motion comic that was released on DVD? God, dude, I think you're asking the wrong person. I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you know motion comics? No. Okay. It's almost like animation, but very, like, limited amounts of movement. Almost like uh, an even more limited version of the old Spider-Man 67 uh, cartoon. I think I saw a couple DVDs of some, like, motion comics of the X-Men at the dollar store. Yes, they did do that. And it's like, it's a still shot, but like the camera might just pan in a direction. Or every now and then a cutout of a character will move across, like pan across the the background, but there's no actual motion to like the character, like no arms or legs moving or anything. Yeah. So like, and then with voiceover, it feels more like a, like a, a viewing experience than a comic book. But really, it is just a comic book with bells and whistles. Yeah, it's either an over-the-top comic book or a very underwhelming cartoon. Okay. Well, we uh, we start so with this. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off there. Get that started yeah. early in the first uh, episode of the new year, and not leave people in suspense when that's gonna happen. But this movie only has two trivia points on IMDb. Two. Yeah. Total. Yep. Did you see what they were? 
I know that the first one was they originally wanted Nick Cage to play the lead. How do you feel about that? Fine. I have an argument that I, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Joe Manganiello. I mean, I've seen him around. We covered his like first at major acting role in the the Sam Raimi Spider Man film as Flash Thompson. That was but, that was like last year, dude. So last year, but. I don't think he's really the lead in the movie. I'm okay with him being a background character, and as such, casting Nick Cage in that role, I'd be okay with it. Fair enough. You? You don't like that idea. No. Okay. No. I like Nick Cage, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not shitting on Nick yeah. Cage. I just don't see him playing this role. Yeah, I mean he almost played Superman. I didn't see him in that either. I didn't see that movie, but uh, if he was Superman in that, I probably doubly wouldn't have seen it. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't watch it either. Anyway, okay, so we get a comic book scene. Yes, a major animated exposition dump, I guess, letting us know that our lead is from... Oh, I'll call him the lead for now. He's from a planet named Chromium, or a city, Max, named uh, Chromium. Uh, people want to kill him because he could fly. He, along with one of those people, uh, Cleo Ventric burst through a window of a tower and plummet toward the ground below. Her plan, and there's some exposition again, her plan is to destroy the world's population with a device called the Void Machine. Uh, he stopped her, but in doing so, horribly wounded, yet he managed to punch a hole through every molecule, creating a vortex which he fell into, detonating the device in a realm between space and time before landing in the first reality he could grab onto. Ours. It's a lot of information in a very short amount of time. Yes, it is. You know what and the interesting part about that is? None of it. No. But go ahead. Yeah, God damn it, Ben. Listen, we don't interrupt each other on this show, okay? <laughs> okay. So what I was going to say is, as we go through the movie, he recites this entire tale to the audience as he's describing it to Hamster. Yeah. <laughs> so having it at the beginning, <laughs> especially as this big information dump is unnecessary because you're gonna just repeat it again it's like when you watch one of those wrestling pay-per-views mm -hmm. and they show you like the promo car uh, uh vignette for the match at the beginning of the show during one mm -hmm. of the intermissions and then right before the match and it's like we get it okay we get it we know we get it i believe this is done for a specific reason is it too early for you to divulge that reason? No, I may as well just get into it now. Okay. He keeps bringing it up to keep it in our memory. Because as the movie plays out, we realize what he's telling us is not the truth. How do you figure? Um, he's saying that people wanted to kill him because he could fly. And okay, We're going right to the ending here, which is fine. Because we still have some <laughs> plot to cover, which I find pretty interesting. He says people wanted to kill him because he could fly. We find out that he was so overwhelmed with the power that he ended up with that he was incredibly violent and aggressive and people were terrified of him and they wanted him out. And the whole reason that machine was created was to nullify his superpowers and render anybody who was even close to that powerful regular humans again. What's your point? I'm sorry? What's your point? The point is what he said isn't true. No. No. What he said is true in his mind. Exactly. 
but he's very confused. And it, what he's saying didn't actually happen. Maybe we should get to some of this so that people listening know who he is that we keep talking about a little bit more in depth. All right, we'll just go through here. Um, we cut the uh, the animation and go right to live action here as our narrator, Max, uh, drinks at a bar, continuing to relay his story to the bartender and a patron supplying whiskey. Uh, I just have a note here saying, describe Max. I have him as a disheveled, unkempt, alcoholic, drug-addicted, homeless man lost in the urban streets, digging through garbage for food and telling his stories to get more booze. Was that a question? No, that's just my interpretation. I think that's a fair description of him. Agreed. Then we get an introduction to another one of our leads, a teenage skater hamster, played by Skylin Brooks, who spends his time trying to document the real raw elements of the city. Um, his most recent attempt is documenting a local dealer uh, who quickly becomes annoyed with Hamster and breaks his phone that he's using to record. Not a chance that this guy would not be dead already. Oh, he'd be, yeah, long dead. You are literally sticking your phone into the face of a known drug dealer while recording and telling him that's what you're doing. If that's the kind of behavior you portray, you wouldn't yeah. have made it this far, man. Yeah, and the, he like he's not afraid of this guy whatsoever. Like Hamster's not afraid of the dealer. Like he, frustrated, you know, gathers his things and tells the dealer no one's buying his shit anyway. And then just goes to uh, a place called Trendable Media, which is, I guess, a YouTube esque startup company. Can we also point out that he's surprised that this drug dealer who didn't want <laughs> himself being recorded. With a phone right in his face. He's surprised that the guy threw his phone. <laughs> really? Well, Hamster is a unique individual in that he's incredibly optimistic and incredibly naive. But delusional. in a poor he, area of town. Yeah, he's, he's delusioned. Uh, I just don't... It's weird. I don't want to say he's delusional, but I guess he's old enough and we assume has had enough life experience that... Yeah... This would have worked. He just seems so innocent to me. This would have worked so much better for me if it was a younger person. How old is he? I, I've been trying to figure that out. Well, Indigo's trying to save money for him to go to college. So I'm going to yeah. assume that he's in the high school years. But we know that he dropped out of high school, and we don't know how long ago that was. Correct. So he could even be older than that. But if you look at his naivety in the movie... If you look at his admiration for the mystique of a superhero, it would have worked a lot better for me if this was like some 12-year-old kid. Yeah, because when he says he dropped out of high school, like he does look older, but the way he acts, I'm like, when did you drop out? Yesterday? Yeah. Like, he, he does act a lot younger than he looks. A lot of his behavior would have made more sense to me if it was through the eyes of like a impressionable child not someone that is like trying to earn his way into college yeah let's see when was he born skylin brooks was born february 12th 1999 all right so, so he's 21 when he this movie came out yeah that works okay give him a couple of years out of high school then or when he should have graduated anyway i'm just saying it would have worked better for me if it was a kid no, I agree with you completely. Um, at Trendable, he meets with, uh, I, I don't know, is she the 
office manager or director? Is her role clearly stated? I uh, it's just Melissa. Melissa. He's right. talking to he, Melissa. He meets with Melissa to try and pitch himself as a new creator for the site, but is uh, repeatedly told they have too many creators already. Uh, he does a great job at pitching his vision, though, that of Hamster's World, his idea to report on the grid, the human story from the inside. If there's one thing that I've learned from my time on the interwebs, it's that content creating, especially the ones that have, you know, like big sites and advertisements for clicks, will at some point throttle back and say, no, no, we have too much content. Mm-hmm. Well, he's immediately shut down uh, by the story of an 11-year-old girl who can play the pan flute. Uh, he bogs at Melissa's claim that they have 15 million viewers who love the stories they post, saying he'll get them 15 million more viewers with his content. Uh, she loves his enthusiasm, and he is very enthusiastic in this movie. Uh, and sets a, sets him up with a temporary creator account with the promise of being hired on if he can show her something cool. Um, they have an amazing relationship, but I don't know why they know each other. I think it's just the idea that he's been like kind of sniffing around and trying to get in there all the time. That has to be it, right? Because they they talk like they're almost friends. You tell me how many times you had people that came into retail stores you worked at that were applying for jobs so many times and came in as customers so many times that you knew them by name and would chat with them. Yeah, but this isn't a retail store. No, but I'm thinking this is it's an the office. Same. Like, who's letting him through the front? Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're very high on security, dude. Yeah, good point. It is very open. There's just a shit ton of people walking around. Uh, but then we cut to another one of our leads. Would you agree that there are multiple leads to this film? Or do you think it's Max? Or do you think Hamster? Or do you think who we're just about to meet, Indigo? I definitely don't think it's Indigo. I think I, I feel like it's more um, uh, like like a buddy cop situation with Hamster and Max Fist. I would say Hamster uh, with Max and Indigo as secondary characters. It's a weird one. I don't know. Like, this movie's a little off kilter for me. But we do cut to Indigo, played by Zoli Griggs, a young woman walking through what I originally thought was a shady club or bar, but it's actually a community center. Uh, she heads for the back, but is stopped at a door and searched before being led into the office of a local drug boss known only as the manager. That was a community center? Mm hmm. I did, I, I'm with you, man. I did not get that impression. Unless it's a bar called the Community Center. But well, it says could, Community that... Center on the outside of the building. Well, that, I mean, that could be kind of kitschy, you know? Like It could be. I, I don't I, even know what city we're in. I'm assuming Los Angeles? That's where it was filmed. I'm, I'm going to go with you and say that that was a nightclub called the Community Center. Yeah. Okay. Did you recognize the manager at all? Uh, I don't know him by name, but he's the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? Yeah, Glenn Howerton. Uh, honestly, I don't watch It's Always Sunny, so I don't recognize him from that, but I assume most people listening do. And he does, he's fine. He's great in this movie. Yeah. Well, once inside, the manager suggests that they need to increase business by selling drugs to preschoolers. It's just a joke, though. Uh, he's just trying to get a rise out of her. Um... What's with the deal with all of the cell phones he has lined up at the front of his desk? Are those just burner phones to hand out to people? 
I figured it was something either like that, like here's a phone for connections, or when you come in, you pretty much put down your cell phone so that you're not recording or anything like that. The shady yeah. doings. But there was like nine phones on that desk. You know what would have been great is if in this scene, you know, Indigo comes in, she confronts the manager, and he's talking about this and that. And then the drug dealer from just a scene ago comes in and be like, yo, tell your brother to stop trying to record me or we're going to kill him. I don't think we need that because she tells him that herself. Well, yes, but I mean, we don't even acknowledge the fact that, yes, he's recording drug dealers who she should seemingly have working relationships with. I don't think he works for the manager. Well, then he's a rival drug dealer, so she should yeah. definitely know who she who he is. But he doesn't know. Yeah, like he she only finds that out by looking at his phone later. I don't. I don't know. I don't think it's that important of a plot point to give that dealer more screen time. I just, it just yeah, never mind. Keep going. <laughs> uh, the manager tells her a story about wanting to be a singer when he was a child, made no money at it. So now, when he wants to hear people clap, he just says clap. Sure. Whatever. False sense of grandeur here, 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the reason that Indigo's there is that she makes the manager money, but she wants to make him more money. Uh, she wants more territory and tells him they should go viral with it. How does she, she make likes... him money? I don't know. I have no idea what she does. Uh, we get the impression that she has to act tough? Yep. For whatever it is she does? Because mm -hmm. the task he sends her on, it sounds like it's the first time he's telling her to do that thing. Yeah, because it's a test. And what she does before that to make money, or the reason that she tells Hamster later that she doesn't like having to, you know, be hard. Doing what? <laughs> Are you... I think I think she's actually a dealer on the streets. Because when he makes the joke about selling to preschoolers, he's telling her about putting on a princess costume and then going to the corner. So I'm assuming... That she's a street dealer, but I don't really know. They don't tell us. Well, if you're going to the corner dressed as a princess, you could be selling something else. That's entirely possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, I said that he gives her a test first. Um, he says that he also has a boss and has to make sure things run smoothly. So what is the test? Go to crazy addict Jimmy Krieg and get the money Krieg owes, but make sure that the addict trusts and likes her. I don't know why. Krieg has to like her or trust her? My only guess is that because he knows that Krieg is a little unstable. <laughs> because in mm, a yep. normal scenario, you would just assume that the intimidation and toughness of a drug dealer's lackeys would be enough to have yeah. him complete the simple task of handing over the money. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Send, I would definitely send like t the two tough guy henchmen that he has before her. Or with her. Or with her. <laughs> you even. go with yeah. her. You be the muscle, but also watch how she interacts and make sure she does a good job as the voice. Yeah. No, let's just send her in by herself to the psychotic person. No problem. We cut to uh, Indigo's apartment and she's making food. I don't know what the hell it is. It's... She says it at one point, but I miss it. it. It looks like giant blue meatballs. 
And I, I already mentioned the color palette of the movie, but everything about Indigo is fucking Indigo. Not only blue, but like this like sauce that she's spooning over the meatballs is like it's got like sparkles. Yeah, I don't know. Why Spark- is this? Sparkly blue meatballs. Hey, at least when uh, Hamster came home, she didn't say, I made you special. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that would actually be more fitting in this scenario. It could have just been normal food. I don't, I don't get, like... She says it's a superfood of some kind. Is that a that thing in this universe? Hey, half, I don't know. Half of the storyline is Max telling us how this world is different from his. And we're led to believe that this world is normal. We don't have superheroes. We don't have special superfoods. Except well, for I've, this one scenario. Because after you've heard, this... You've heard the term superfood before. Well, yeah, but when, when I say it here, I mean like super blue glowing sparkling food. Oh yeah. Unnatural, otherworldly food. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and like, if you look at it, it's the only element in this world, quote unquote, that has that. And yeah, it's a throwaway that, good thing. Point. Just make a meatloaf. There's <laughs> no point in this. Yeah, and this is where we find out that she and Hamster are siblings. But, like, she made these blue meatballs for him as a superfood to look after him. But she puts the whole tray down in front of him. And these things are the size of, like, baseballs. Mm-hmm, yeah. And stands back. Giving the idea, or they're the gonna explode. That, not, not that they're gonna explode, but she's like, clear it. <laughs> she just he's like, it. this <laughs> is like eight pounds of blue meat covered in sparkles and some weird dark blue sauce. I, I no, she no, just, I'm not she, doing that. She just puts the tray down, takes one step back, crosses her arms, and looks down. <laughs> well, um. That she's she's like you said she's pissed that hamster is posting photos of low level drug dealers afraid of what would happen if it gets back to the manager. Uh, he in turn is annoyed that he's taking shit when his sister is working with big time criminals. Why would she be mad if it got back to the manager if they're rivals? Because if they're rivals, then they're being exposed and you're getting rivals off the street. Yeah, but the manager isn't really a a cool headed dude. And I think if he found out that one of his employees' siblings is hanging around with competition, that it might look bad for her. Or he might just kill her. It's poor writing, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have to say, too, like, this production was plagued with people getting sick randomly. So there were certain times where they would just have to come up with new scenes or use the same dialogue in different settings. So it, it could be a scenario of that too. I had to think on the fly. Um, the whole point of her working for uh, the manager though, is to get her brother into college. Like you said before, because she promised her father that she would. Um, we already said that he's a high school dropout. So Indigo has been saving money to buy his way in, which is a nice dig at the, the U S education system. Sure. Um, I only got this on the rewatch, but a bit of foreshadowing here when Indigo refers to herself as a sugar plum fairy interstellar princess. Uh, didn't catch that. Yeah. I didn't catch it the first time through, but after watching the movie, I'm like, oh, all right. 
Anyway, uh, she tells him about how their father was a storyteller and had a specific story about two ravens who would collect gold chains because they were building a golden nest. Hamster says that proves that storytelling is in their blood, trying to reinforce his uh, current endeavors. Mm-hmm. Later that night, after getting uh, some street meat, Hamster wanders past an alley where a drunken Max is punch- <laughs> trying to punch his way through a brick wall. He got street meat. Yeah. <laughs> Your sister just handed you a full tray of blue meatballs. Oh, yeah. He definitely didn't eat any of that. <laughs> Would you? No, fuck no. You can't cook. I'm going to go get a hot dog. Yeah. From, like, some very filthy vendor in an alleyway. Uh, I'm not going to mention the line that's spoken here, but it's hilarious. Obviously, I'm going to have to bring it up later. Okay. Um, But uh, Max tells the kid that he used to punch holes through space and time. Hamster starts taking photos of the increasingly agitated homeless man, saying he's heard about him. He's the man from another planet who has superpowers. Hamster wants to tell Max a story, but Max just walks off. Hamster runs after him, but finds Max passed out in the street. He helps him up, and Max vomits everywhere. He wants to take the man to the hospital, but we're told, apparently, the people there don't understand his biology. Oh, because he's from a different planet. Exactly. Hamster posts the story anyway. Max Fist, Hamster City's Cosmic Crusader. How are you feeling about this movie at this point? Because I don't know what happens later, I'm still intrigued. Yeah, me too. Um, introduced enough characters in a short amount of time without it being overbearing. I'm super curious where the story is going. And then we get slammed with another one of these pink and blue animated scenes, but it's a flashback of a clean-shaven Max. But this gives way to Hamster finding the man passed out on a rooftop the next morning. Max has no recollection of him from the previous night, nor has he any interest in the coffee Hamster brought for him grabbing it and throwing it across the roof. He does, however, appreciate the beer that Hamster brought. And Hamster's awesome. He is so adorable in this movie. I love him. I think he's amazing. You seem to think otherwise, though. I didn't say that. No? What's your stance on Hamster? I like He is definitely naive. I like this character. My only comment was that that never-ending enthusiasm and naivety would have worked better for me if it was a younger kid, but that doesn't mean that I didn't like the character. Okay. My misinterpretation. Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, honestly, I wanted to see more of him in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, give him more screen time. Yep. Max, now sitting on the edge of the rooftop, is slamming beer after beer, and how, in a wait, how much did more Hamster conversation... find him on the rooftop? I have no idea. He's a pretty good tracker. Yeah. Yeah. Convenience. Plot convenience. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells Hamster about how he would sit on the top of the tallest building in Chromium, thousands of feet up, and look down like a god. That should be your first inkling that something's off about Max. <laughs> he would he would hover around the edge of a black hole and dare it to pull him in, but he crushed himself here against the earth with one wrong twitch. Can I, say- I didn't catch any of this. The first time through, but like the ego coming through here is insane. But oh, yeah, I, sorry. I caught the ego right away from the first time you see him in the bar telling his story. This guy is full of himself. Oh, yeah. What was I going to say? <laughs> I don't know. Which is a good segue into what I was just about to say. Uh, that 
this character is incredibly confused. I find the confusion almost any time he's on screen. Like he he knows what he wants to say, he doesn't know how to say it, and he gets frustrated and then just gets angry. Up until a point in the movie, that was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I have a really strong liking for it. And as such, spoiler, I'm very disappointed with the ending to this movie. Yeah, I I'm I myself am torn. I'll get into um, it. We got to get a little further into the plot right. though or so I'm going to be like revealing way too much. Okay. Hamster explains what he's trying to do and compares himself to Hunter Thompson. Max says he doesn't think they had one of him in Chromium. He then tells Hamster <sighs> if he gets him food and whiskey, he'll tell him his story. I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> makes me shudder every time you say Chromium. What is it? What is it called? That's what it's called. But that okay. might be the single most stupidest name for a city <laughs> I can think oh, of. Oh, it's terrible. Absolutely. I had to try and research it to make sure I had the right term. I, like I was turning the volume up, ear to speakers, put a headphones on. I'm like, it sounds like chromium, but that's pretty stupid. It's bad. So, it's bad. Well, we cut to a bar and we get just that, his story. Hamster questions Max's superpowers, and apparently the source of his power doesn't exist on Earth. Then a montage of Max and Hamster wandering around while Max tells him of things such as cosmic blood, which comes from the cosmic source, a black hole the size of 12 billion suns that started making people, quote, weird. Max then rants about the shitty atmosphere on Earth and how it's made him age 15 years. But 15 years in how many Earth years? I don't know. Exactly. I love how they have this setup where we, we don't know... If this is just a crazy homeless guy coming up with a story to convince people to buy him things. They we have no on, reason to believe that he's a superhero. They lay that on very thick. Yes. Very thick. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They should have kept that. I will say more later. <laughs> uh, yet another animation cutscene shows how Max lost his right arm below the elbow. Uh, bleeding out, he dragged himself toward a cave wherein he happened upon a pool of energy that entered his bloody appendage, changing his molecular structure, rebuilding his arm out of crystal, and bestowing upon him superpowers. He believes the cosmic source chose him to defend everyone from Cleo, which inevitably led him to our dimension. Same planet, different world. They talk of the chance that the worlds have the same layout and might be able to find the crystal cave on Earth but an annoyed Max walks off yet again. I mean, when I heard that, I thought, that's a good idea. It's a great idea. That's a solid plan. You know who wouldn't think that's a good idea? A person who knows their story is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is going in such a great direction at this point. Such a great direction. He returns to his alley tent, slams a bottle of whiskey, and pulls his ripped superhero cape out of a box. No, it's a superhero trench coat. Uh, no, it's an actual suit that has a cape. Oh, really? I thought it was like a trench coat. No, no, because he uh, he looks at the cape, and later on we see him put the suit on with the cape added onto it. Yeah. Yeah, donning it, he wanders into the night, dreaming of his last days in Chromium, being cheered by its people. Delusions of a madman, maybe? Elsewhere, Indigo arrives at Krieg's apartment, and we get the amazing Paul Shear. And he looks absolutely insane. Crazy tattoos, 
with a uh, uh, crown of thorns tattooed on. Uh, and he's only wearing boots and a Speedo. What's your take on Paul Shear in this scene, this entirely strange scene of Krieg? He's amazing. He's great. But he doesn't fit in this movie for me. Mm. Sure. Every Everybody's so dark in their character. Like, they seem like they all have foundations that are just filled with intense emotion. And he's just batty, off-the-wall, chaotic energy. <clears throat> and, I mean, I've met people like this. This is more real to me. Paul Shear's performance... Reminds me of actual human, well, not actual humanity, but the crazies that I've encountered in my life. Whereas everybody else in this movie, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, the whole the whole scene is strange. Uh, Krieg's obviously messed up on amphetamines. Has a rambling back and forth with Indigo, uh, offering her drugs. He takes her refusal personally and forces her to play Russian roulette. But he's shocked that she actually goes through with it. And in his amped up state, accidentally shoots himself in the head. Indigo sees a bag on the bed filled with $300,000, grabs it, and gets the fuck out of there. Uh, When Krieg died, I was actually upset. Because he wasn't going to be in it anymore? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, man. When I saw his name in the credits, I was so excited. And I loved what we got. We just didn't get enough. Not nearly enough. But I don't know how that character would really exist throughout the rest of the story. I understand he's like a plot device, but I just give us a little bit more sheer. Max is drawing geometric patterns on the ground, as you do, rambling while in his head Cleo's voice taunts him about being a schizophrenic who lives under a bridge. How he'll never be free of her, how she'll never be free of him. And that's why she built the void machine, so they can get back to who they really are together. Kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Later, Max wakes from his sleep, feeling like Cleo is in the city. At the community center, the manager hears of Krieg's death. He doubts the story that Krieg killed himself, especially since his money is missing, and angrily stuffs a police report in a henchman's mouth, saying that before he sends people to kill Krieg's associates, he wants to make sure with Indigo that the money is actually missing. Isn't Indigo a complete fucking moron? I just realized that I said the F word on the first episode of the year. That is not start off with a bang. That is not like me, but that goes to show how disappointed I am with the the character of Indigo. You were sent to this guy to collect money for a drug dealer. Oh, she didn't know what she was there to get. He never told her. She was there to collect something even he never still, specifically says money put but if i took together. that money i'd be like i would go right to him and be like hey shit went sideways here's three hundred thousand dollars is that all right yeah like, <laughs> even if you don't know what it is you walk into that scenario with creek you see him you know in his current state with a big bag of money on the bed what could you possibly be collecting for a drug dealer in this scenario? It's one yeah. of two things. It's going to be the drugs or the monies. Got to be the monies. You don't 
take the money and try to hide it. That's just stupid. stupid so stupid. 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 You know which one needs to go to college? Indigo. Because Hamster ain't making that stupid of a move. Which is weird. I hate the fact that the character does this because I think the actor does such a good job, but the character is so stupid at times. I don't know. The manager's phone rings and he's immediately intimidated by the person on the other line saying they're in town and have to meet. The call ends and the manager asks his men, who the fuck is Max Fist? Which made me really curious about what the conversation was he just had on the phone. Yeah. Because I don't know how that would be worked into any conversation they were having. Well, I don't think it's starting a conversation or uh, taking place in the middle of a conversation. I think she's literally calling for the purpose to say that she's coming to town because she found Max Fist. Because she talks about later in the movie how she wasn't able to track him. And my only guess is that now that Hamster has started posting about him, she she sees this and she's like, that's where he is and I'm coming to town. And that's why Max... The night before is like, I can sense Cleo's coming to town, right? Yeah. But we find out that all of her shit, or all of her empire, is in that city. So where the hell does she live? I don't know, man. All right. Uh, We get a montage of Hamster posting fist facts online, such as, in Chromium, Max's blood is blue. Sure, that's not going to come up again. Why, Why do people tune into that? I don't know. I guess I shouldn't comment. The current state of the internet makes this look brilliant. That's a good point. I swear, like, every time I open the internet, it's like, here's a recommendation for some narcissistic girl dancing for likes. Or here's yeah. um, uh, here's a bunch of people arguing over the internet as tough guys about something that will never be resolved by arguing over the internet about it. It's, we, yeah. we, we look bad. Yeah, uh, well, one thing I will say about this movie is that you can watch it, but don't analyze it. Uh, If you just watch it with the idea of, like, just take it in, take what's given to you, it's really fun, fast, enjoyable flick. Once you start analyzing it, you start seeing so many holes to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, At a bar, Melissa tells Hamster that his posts are getting insane numbers and that she'll hire him on full-time if he can keep it up. Then there's an odd focus on the stress ball she has, which has a logo we have not yet seen in the movie. Yeah, it's like it's foreshadowing that she's associated, but we're not given that information to put it together. Yeah, no, not yet. That's it's weird. It, it seems like a, a rough edit, or like we're we should have been introduced to that logo somewhere else in the film, and maybe we have, and we both just missed it. But I don't remember it. Nope. Uh, there's another montage of Max Facts. And the hero says he never killed anybody. That was a rule. That's bullshit. Bullshit. Hamster believes that the crystal cave from which Max draws his power should also be on Earth. Uh, They just need the coordinates. And together they deduce the cave to be under an abandoned shopping mall. How or why? I don't know. Just so they have a place to hang out later in the movie. In the parking lot, Max calls out a driver stunting in the parking lot. He throws a rock at the windshield and the driver runs him down. Max gets back to his feet and smashes the shit out of the car before the driver speeds off. Hamster posts the video online. I don't I don't really get that scene. 
he's got to stay giving the impression that he is tough. No, I understand that. He gets fucked up by that car. Mm-hmm. And all I can think of is maybe it's the drugs. Like, if he's a meth addict, he's probably not going to feel all the pain a regular person would. But I don't know. Anyway, Finn and Decker, uh, two of the manager's henchmen, arrive at Indigo's apartment to question her. She plays dumb, but Finn reads her perfectly and asks to use the bathroom before they leave. Um, the guy that plays Finn, Joseph Reitman, I thought was fantastic in this movie. Excellent. I would have liked to see more of him in this movie, too. Yeah, if if he was in this movie more, he would be my best performance award. I could see it. I could really yeah, see it. He's absolutely great. And I looked up his IMDb. He's been in everything. Everything. Um, also, once the uh, Mr. Shannon Elizabeth... Seems like an odd couple, but those two are married. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, right? Outside, Hamster is losing his shit about how Max dealt with the car. Max tells him the trick is to stay calm and jump. He's trying to put on a front, showing Cleo that he was a force that would never stop. The two-part ways, as Hamster goes into the apartment building, Max notices the blinds being pulled down inside and knows something bad is about to happen. I don't know why. I don't know why he knows where Hamster lives. It could have just been somebody in another apartment in the building pulling a blind down in the window. Correct. Hamster enters the apartment. You know how they do this in other movies? The guy who's closing the blinds is not very bright, and he stands right in front of it, and you see, like, a holster in his jacket. Yeah, something. Something menacing. Yep. Hamster enters the apartment just as Finn discovers the money hidden in the bathroom. Finn smacks Indigo around while Decker's ready to shoot Hamster in the head. Just then, the door flies open and Max rushes in, stomps in Finn's head, and breaks Decker's neck. Doesn't he tackle the guy through the table first? Yes. Always a good good spot. Gotta like a good tackle through a table. Great spot. Uh, Great job at knowing the layout of the building to know which door Hamster just went in. Can you imagine he just bursts into a random person's apartment? <laughs> just some kid sitting there playing video games? What the... Uh... Smashes him through the table, panics and runs. <laughs> it's just take... some old grandma. <laughs> 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 he got, he's got to go try another door. But then after that scene, you just see an ambulance pulling her away. <laughs> <laughs> he broke his rule never to kill. Uh, I don't think that was ever one of his rules. Yeah, no. Yeah. They take Finn's keys and the three steal his car. Indigo warns them that the manager will send more people. Max asks what his powers are. Or, wait, what? The oh, manager, yeah, sorry. The manager. Asks what the pa- manager's powers are. Quickly correcting himself to what's his threat level assessment. <laughs> the manager will send more people for us. That's okay. They'll never find us in one of the henchmen's cars. Yeah. Indigo chides him for being a superhero and not knowing who runs crime in the city. Okay. We we get a quick, I'm not a fucking superhero. This is the point at which I start to really hate Indigo. Yeah. Oh, her character drops off hard at this point. It was never good to begin with for me anyway. 
Oh, okay. I disagree, but all right. At this point, she starts blaming Max Fist for putting her brother in danger. Mm -hmm. And I just want to reach through the TV and slap her and be like, which one of you brought home $300,000 of a drug dealer's money? Yeah. The only reason Max... The only reason Max Payne had to come in there was not because he was hanging out with Hamster, is because you were getting shaken down by a drug dealer's henchman for stealing his money. Well, that's that's not even where this happens yet. There's still another scene in between that, which she, makes she, her she, reaction even worse. She scolds him for it a few times, actually, if you go back. But they pull into the mall parking lot, and Max says they should camp there to come up with a plan. Indigo argues that they should leave, but Max calls her out saying that if they run, the manager will find them and kill them. Max now believes the reason he ended up on Earth was to find the siblings and help them. So it's when they go into the mall where Indigo tells Max about her plan to look after her brother, and that's where the first major blame for Max uh, causing the current situation happens. And yeah, I have notes here saying why. Her actions would have left them dead and Max saved them. Yes. And at this point, Max did not draw any of the attention to them. No. None whatsoever. But I was pretty sure no, before nobody this, she knows threw out who like Max a, is. I was pretty sure before this she threw out a line like, This is your fault. I know that she complains to Hamster about what he's doing, but I don't remember actually calling out Max. It's entirely possible that it does. That I'm not saying calls movie. him out, I'm saying blames him. Okay. Uh, Max tells her that his plan is to kill everyone who would hurt them. She says that the manager was never going to let her go. So again, how would her plan have worked? How would if she knows that the manager is like this, it be a good idea or justification to take the money? Yeah. And seriously, from like the movie's getting bad, but from this point on, the rest of it's just ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculously good or ridiculously bad. Mm. I'm sure we'll find people that will argue both. I think you and I are on the same page. Yeah, I Max, think you'd be surprised. No, yeah, yeah. Max dons his suit and cape, saying it's all he has left. He then scopes up the community center and the manager's operations. Hamster tells him, fuck the past. So he burns the suit and cape in a barrel fire? That didn't make any sense to me. Uh, me neither. He had no motivation to do that. None. If he was going to burn the past, he would have done it earlier. There, there was no trigger after that, but okay. No. It just leads us to further believe that he's just a crazy man. <laughs> Which, again, I'm okay with. Max vows to clean up the city so they can start over. And he goes to a gun store and stocks up, eventually looking like the Punisher. And two things here. Did they spend the money that Indigo stole on all that stuff? I thought they just took it. No, they bought it. Oh. And to give me a Punisher movie with Joe as the lead, he, he looked great. <laughs> what is awesome? I would totally watch him as the Punisher. I'm not disagreeing with you, but like, it really goes to show how little he needed superpowers in this movie. Oh, no. No, not at all. You, you are the Punisher, dude. Your superpower is you have a gun. Yeah. And meth power. Um, Hamster is stunned by Max's appearance. The hero gives him a letterman's jacket, H for Hamster. It's also been modified with blades on the right forearm. He also gives him a tracking device so Max can always find him. Um, this illusion is shattered when Max breaks out meth before the assault starts. 
He claims there's a trace of cosmic blood in it. And I love how this this right here gives us reason to believe that Max is just a crazy homeless drug addict. Yep. And this is where I, I thought like it really does make sense how he could power drink as much as he does, get up after being hit by a car, and keep rambling on about being from a different dimension. It just makes sense. Mm-hmm. At this Me- point, I think the movie is reaching its crescendo. Oh, yeah. Definitely is. Immediately after snorting the drugs, he starts ranting about ripping through molecules and starts trying to punch through a wall. Um, we cut to a scene of the siblings torching one of the manager's trucks. Back to Max, who's now partially punched through the wall, hallucinating that he can see between worlds. Um they then break into the community center where goons are seated around a table wearing full head masks and gambling. Um, I don't know why they're wearing masks at this point. They're not going anywhere. They're just sitting in a what we assume to be the bar playing cards and drinking. See, the thing about this scene is that they gave them masks so that they you wouldn't see that they're the same people playing different roles. I That was my guess, right? That's the only decent explanation. That's what I thought. It's a budgetary yeah. thing. Yeah. Max, in full riot gear, kills everyone while Hamster watches in complete horror. And I thought that was really good. Uh, watching Hamster realize what Max is actually doing and what he's all about. And just shutting down. I thought it was great. Well, it doesn't really fly with uh, the overenthusiastic dude, right? No, he's being confronted with the horrors of not regular everyday life, but like the dark elements that he was priding himself on being a part of earlier in the movie. Yep. Uh, Max collapses in the stairwell, does more meth, and continues his path to the manager. Fights the dealer's bodyguard, taking several gunshots before being saved by Indigo. Which I found really weird, because it looks like he's really being shot. He acts like he's really being shot, like those bullets are hitting him, not the vest. See, I was going to assume that he was just getting hit in the body armor. Yeah. But, like, he was going in at strange angles around the side of the ribs and everything. I'm like, holy shit, they're killing Max off already. (laughs) But no. Um, Yeah, sorry, being saved by Indigo, who shoots the man in the leg but lets him leave. Super curious to know why. She knows the manager's never going to let her go. Um, don't save the crazy murder man who almost fucked up your superhero. Any, any idea on that one? Well, it's not like he would go back to the manager and give him any information on what's going on. Seems like a pretty safe play. I don't know. I guess maybe he is that much of a professional. How about I go back to my earlier statement of Indigo's a moron? Yeah. Yep. The manager blindly fires three shotgun blasts through his office door and hightails it out through the window and into a waiting car. I did really enjoy the music here. And I do have to say, throughout the movie, the music is quite good. Uh, very reminiscent of Mandy, uh, which makes sense because it's some of the same film producers. I haven't seen it, so... Yeah. Uh, back in the community center, Hamster is standing among the strewn about corpses, completely stunned by what he sees. Uh, Indigo runs into her brother and they agree to flee. Max rifles through the manager's desk, stopping when he finds the same kind of stress ball we saw Melissa holding earlier. Again, it's not really explained to us what it is, but now we know for sure that there is a connection between those two. Yep. 
He returns with the siblings, stating they need a new plan, but Hamster says he has to stop killing people. Max demands to know who the manager's boss is. He says that Cleo was driving the car the manager escaped in, which means she must have fallen through the vortex before he did, and now she's there and running everything. That's quite the leap. Assuming that she's running everything? It's uh, interesting that he's now theorizing that she came with him, even though earlier in the movie he stated that she was in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Did you have that eureka moment a second time there, buddy? Uh, yeah. That's probably so many drugs he doesn't remember the first one. Yeah, it's... He probably won't remember this one either. Oh, definitely not. Um, There is so much good that can come from this story that just kind of seems to be abandoned. Uh, Hamster denounces everything Max told him and the siblings leave. More animation. This time, people of Chromium tearing down a statue of Max. A voiceover from Cleo begs him to stop saying he destroyed everyone and begs him to go to her high atop her tower. More live action now as Max speeds down the road as a voiceover from Hamster describing Max as a broken hero, a man alone, a dream that never ends. Then says his goodbye. Hamster City is closing down. I hate Need you to go so and much. Ha- What's that? I hate you so much. Keep going. Why do you hate me? You'll see. <laughs> Indigo and Hamster pull over to the side of the road so Indigo can get some sleep. While out, Melissa calls Hamster, admitting that she knows they're in trouble, but her very powerful boss wants to meet him. Just then a car pulls up with Melissa in the back telling Hamster to jump in. I'm super curious to know why you hate me. Just keep going, man. More animation. This time it's Cleo's Tower, which has the same logo we previously saw on the stress balls. Bam, mystery solved. Inside also, the now part- Hamster getting inside, it might, have well, it might as well have been a guy in a van with candy. Like, oh, yeah. You're running for your life. Don't get in that car. What's wrong with you, no, man? No, of course not. It doesn't matter if she's a familiar face, even if she didn't turn out to be a villain. Do not go off on your own at this time. No. Also, Melissa is a villain, sucks. Uh, inside well, the She's not a villain, car. really. She's just an idiot. She is an idiot. Who works for an evil corporation. She, I don't even think she knows she works for an evil corporation. No. Although she knows something's up when uh, she takes Hamster to Cleo. Because she has to like explain how he's like skittish, which he's not. To me, that sounds like somebody who doesn't know that there's a connection there. She's literally bringing him there. Hey, this is the guy you asked for. Just so you know, he's a little iffy. Yeah, but she sprints across multiple lanes of a road to, like... I'm gonna assume I don't know, she's just Cle- so proud. What Cleo does next indicates to me that Melissa had no idea. Okay. But inside the now park car, the other You, you missed the part where Cleo just shoots Melissa in the head. Uh, well, no, because we haven't gotten there yet. I thought we were just talking about where Melissa's talking to her in front of the car. Yeah, but the, more happens before that. Yeah. You were t- uh, yeah, we just carried on about what happens after he gets in the car. Oh, okay. I was saying inside the park car, the manager pitches Cleo an idea of their business covering the whole city and eventually the country, hoping to go viral, um, which is exactly what Indigo told him earlier. Uh, Cleo shuts him down, letting him know that he's exactly where he needs to be. He wants to go viral, but she is the virus. Um, Not as good of a line as I feel that they wanted that to be. 
Oh no, they thought it was an amazing line, and it does not play out that well. This this actor is she's great, but not in this movie. Um, she talks about how she wanted to be the greatest scientist in the universe and the lengths she went to get there, but spent all of her intimate knowledge building weapons and robots and traps all to stop a single man. This is where I have Melissa and Hamster arrive, and she runs over to Cleo's car and is shot while the manager cracks Hamster with a baton, knocking him out. I thought that in the background was hilarious. <laughs> yep. It's just one solid whip of the baton, and he's down. It might have been the funniest part of the movie. Oh, totally was. Which I feel bad because I love hamster, but like <laughs> that is great, great gag in the background. Yep. Uh, Cleo then activates hamster's tracking device. Indigo wakes up in the back of uh, Finn's car and finds hamster's note on the windshield, and she screams in anger. Well, I don't know what you thought was going to happen—that he would just be sitting there. Also, don't just pull over to the side of the road in a henchman's car that you stole after killing. Pull off the road somewhere. Hide it. She Another animated is scene. not smart. No. There's way too much animation in this movie for me. Agreed. And it, it's just... it. The Okay, it's not the amount that bugs me. It's that it's too bland to be in there that frequently. No, it should just be the first one that gives you the um, story dump and then the one that kind of clarifies the origin. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, Cleo puts on armor, readying herself for a battle with Max. The scene plays out the same as we saw at the beginning of the film, pretty much. But we now learn that the Void Machine was created to relegate anybody with superpowers back to regular humans, not kill them. Now we're back to live action. Max enters Cleo's office building and heads to the top floor. There he finds Cleo and the manager, who is holding a gun to Hamster's head. He tosses his gun aside and gets on his knees as the manager approaches him. Cleo looks at the glass wall to the streets below, spotting Indigo storming towards the building. She tells the manager he has to deal with his employee and sends him downstairs to take care of her. So how did Indigo get there? I don't know. See, the the implication to me is that Hamster put it in his note. But that would imply that Hamster knew where he was going. And I'm pretty sure he had zero idea where they were going. Exactly. So how did they were Indigo just going get there? to meet with Melissa's boss. She didn't have the tracker that Max had. Nope. No, there are holes, man. There are many holes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleo lets us know that she spent so many years building an empire, getting ready to deal with Max when their paths crossed again. And here, without the cosmic blood, Max is nothing. So she believes that uh, in a way, the void machine has actually worked. Max pleads with her to let the boy go. She tries to convince him that Max doesn't actually care about him. She gets Max to admit to Hamster that he and Cleo were married, that he was indeed the hero of Chromium, but a hero nobody wanted, and his rage and violence destroyed the city. Downstairs in the lobby, we get a shootout between Indigo and the manager before cutting back upstairs, where Cleo speaks of a theory she has about what would happen the next time she was near Max. She shoots him in the chest, and blue blood rushes from the wound. Downstairs, Indigo shoots the manager in the gut. They tussle, and he stabs her hard under the ribs and violently chokes her. They struggle, and Indigo eventually strangles him to death with her belt, which seemed like a weird choice, but looked pretty cool. In the office, Cleo is stunned. Max laughs, feeling some sense of vindication, and Hamster's amazed that Max's story was true. I hate that I just had to say that. 
Uh, Cleo's about to shoot Hamster, but Max rushes her, taking a bullet instead. It doesn't slow him down, and he grabs a hold of her, smashing through the window and sending the two of them plummeting to the streets below. Very much like the animated scene at the beginning. Mm-hmm. The one thing I did like about what happens next is, did you notice the pools of blood underneath the two as yeah. their bodies lay next to each other? Blue and red. Not just blue and red, but Cleo's blood pool is the shape of a half heart. And Max's blue blood is just a splattered mess. I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Shit. Yeah. Definitely, like, find that image if you can. It is, it's a beautiful shot. Like, I know you don't want to go back through this movie, but it's worth finding that one scene. It looks great. Um, Laying in the road, dying, Max tells Cleo he finally got her, even without powers. She says all she wanted was to see him bleed. A dying indigo drags her bloodied body out of the building and toward Max's body. She touches his blood and it reacts to her much like the energy from the crystal cave did to Max. Her body heals. She hallucinates buildings of chromium and a ground shakes. And the ground shakes briefly but violently before Indigo's body raises off of it and she levitates high into the sky. In the office tower, Hamster stares in amazement at his superpowered sister while on the ground Max whispers, you're going to be okay, and dies. The movie ends with a voiceover from Hamster letting people know that the city has new heroes to protect it. We cut to black and roll credits. Dude. Yeah, man. How did it go so bad so quickly? They messed it up big time. It was so promising. Honestly, before they get to the tower, even with all of the holes and the problems, I was sitting here thinking that this movie is teetering on brilliant. It was. It totally was. You know, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, this writer-director, he's building like this anti-superhero movie where, you know, right now you see like a Spider-Man movie and everybody believes it, sight unseen, that there's this superhero with superpowers. And here's a movie where it's saying, no, no, society would never buy that. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> right? And they did such a brilliant job up until then building this idea of disbelief that Max really is a superhero because at no point does he do anything like a superhero throughout the entire movie really other than blue bleeding blue blood but like and he, that's it before then he was still bleeding red yes i can think of so many ways that i would have rather this movie ended and every single one of the men's with him having just been a regular dude yeah uh, regular in the sense of by a by a um biogenically not uh like he he's definitely like a schizophrenic or something like that oh yeah but man they messed it up like there is and i don't say this often or easily there was brilliance here yeah it started off so strong never seen an ending nosedive so strongly there's a definite fall from grace I was so excited in the first part of this movie. Part of like, me? Oh, my God. One we've never seen. One we've never even really heard of. We just saw the trailer. And, oh, my God, is this one of our new favorites? Potentially, yeah. Part of me didn't want Cleo to even be real. Nope. Part of me wanted it to just be one of Max's split personalities. And, yes, maybe you would have been kind of 
flirting a little bit too much with like a fight club type scenario here. Mm -hmm. But it would have worked so much better that like, mm, I don't even want to get into the potential ways that it could have worked. Even like part of me was even thinking, okay, if you're not going to do like a fight club-esque type thing where Cleo is just a figment of his imagination or maybe even a therapist that he had spoken to previously and he kind of carried on the voice with it. If you were going to go with the idea that he really was from Chromium, almost do like a, a like a the fly body transfer and Cleo and Max actually combined bodies when they went through yeah. the void. And you didn't see them separate until he fell out of the tower and died and then the two separated. There's just so many other ways that it would have worked better for me. Well, one of the biggest problems for me, like, you remove this situation, and I think you could you could kind of save the ending. Cleo's not the villain in Chromium. No, she's trying to stop him from essentially this... Killing everybody. Well, I don't know about killing everybody, but because they, they, again, they keep that blurred as well, but it almost feels like he was increasingly getting into a god complex. And you think about, like, say, that more recent Man of Steel movie where Zod and Superman essentially destroy an entire city in their fight. Spoiler if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Right? Superman's not a bad guy, but the lengths that he has to go to to save the world from Zod causes all this destruction you kind of get that kind of impression like max was just getting too powerful too big too full of himself that even though he was doing the right thing and being the right hero things like collateral damage were getting too high and we need to find a way to kind of like curb this guy right but we're let we're led to believe and i think the terms rage and violence are used so like yeah maybe he's trying to save people but in doing so filled with rage and overly violent is more than likely killing people, even though he says he doesn't. It's his rule. It's not his rule. We never see that once. Yeah. But, like, why is Cleo the villain on Earth? Because she owns a drug empire. But why? I don't know, man. I don't know, like... The ending... Why would you... The ending just ruins this movie. Why? Yeah, like, I, I don't understand. Like, I thought I was just missing something. But the more I think about it, there is no reason for this ending to play out the way it does. Do you want to get into some notes? Some uh, production notes? Sure. Or how about some numbers? Sure. All right, let me get to the top of my 21 pages of this nonsense. It's Um, such a shame. It is such a shame. uh, You want to guess what the budget is? Because I don't know. Oh, they don't have it listed? I found a website that has it listed at $31 million, but I'm not too sure about that. I can tell you what it made. Well, didn't it come out on streaming services? Uh, No. Oh. Okay. It did eventually. But uh, worldwide box office gross? $136,000. <sighs> this is a failure. It... A massive failure. All right, then. The ratings are what confuse me. Okay. Uh, uh, IMDB, we're sitting at a 7 out of 10. It's probably based on potential and premise, yeah. not delivery and execution. 
the tomato meter, the critics of Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 74. What the hell is going on? Audience gave it a 50. See, I think I can, 50 is fair. I can see that a little bit more than that. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Bit of a technical issue with my computer, and we lost the end of the episode, about 30 minutes or so of us talking about production notes. We can't replicate that conversation, so we're just going to jump ahead now to our awards, which, Ben, in the traditional sense, you would go first with worst performance. Yeah, man. Uh, I already know that you disagree with me, but I'm going with uh, old Joey M as Max Fist. Um, in what we, we lost in that recording, the points you made about him not really having a whole lot to work with I do agree with and it does make me want to shift my my choice more so to Zoli Griggs but since I originally chose Joe I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with him I thought that he could have done better okay but, Th- uh, thanks thanks for the additional jab on how I messed up the file it's good to hear <laughs> uh, second of all that was your opportunity to miss or um, correct your dire mistake and uh, screw you not pick Joe as the worst performance because he was not. I will defend him once again. His confusion delivery was fantastic, and he did a great job with the action scenes. What more did that character need to do? I'm not here to defend myself. Okay, fine, fine. Awesome. (laughs) Best performance? No, I didn't give my worst performance yet. That's okay. No one cares, man. Uh, my best performance. No, oh, sorry, go ahead. you can't. <laughs> so my worst performance was Zoli Griggs yeah. as Indigo. And it was primarily due to how flat her delivery was. Her concern for her brother, her being hard to have this role with a drug dealer seemed like the same personality to me. I, I Were you being stern with the drug dealers by giving them a lecture is that like there was no range to her delivery in this movie and in fact mm-hmm. what 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 do you want to say what i was agreeing with you uh-huh okay in fact the biggest range we got from her was when she over delivered on some lines and was quite unbearable that's pretty harsh i don't know about unbearable but all right Maybe you just got me fired up and I was more harsh than I needed to be. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, uh, I think we both want to give an honorable mention for the best performance. 100%, yes. And anybody who's listened to our show before knows that when we do an honorable mention, it almost always falls under the category of just not getting enough screen time. Yeah? Yeah, totally. (laughs) You still with me, man? <laughs> I, I didn't know I was expected to respond to that. I'm like, man, eh, eh, what we do. Oh, fine, you finish the honorable mention then, you jerk. All right, well, we can both agree right off the bat. Uh, Joseph Reitman as Finn, had he more screen time, would be the best performance for both of us. Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. And you had mentioned giving him the role of the manager not to take anything away from Glenn Howerton. He did a great job. But we both want to see more Reitman on the screen. I actually think that Howerton would have been better off if Cleo wasn't like the overall leader. 
if he was just kind of like that corporate bigwig leader that came into town after, this is kind of tying into what I said earlier about maybe Cleo being just one of Max's split personality type things and not an actual physical manifestation human in the world, then Mm -hmm. I would have been fine with casting it where, okay, you know, Finn is the the mob boss, drug dealer, and Howerton is the the actual director. I don't know why you, the manager is such a dumb name, but whatever. Yeah. Um, or potentially just having Krieg in there with uh, Finn as almost like an odd couple pairing of running two territories for the director. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. But uh, um, again, keep keep in mind too, Glenn Howerton is a classically trained actor who just fell into a successful comedy role. Like he is an amazing actor. So give him something with a little bit more edge. And I think he'd be great. So yeah, that higher up position, I think you suggested that I think that would be perfect. Oh yeah. I think that would be brilliant. If you put him in there where it's like, okay, he's like, a, cause we don't have Cleo to be like a scientist from another world. He's like a, like a mayor or something like a politician who has a a good face for the public, but behind the scenes is running this drug cartel industry. Um, I think that Howerton would be amazing in a role like that. And then you could have, and then you could have, right? Like these two very different personalities um, with Krieg and Finn running like the drug dealings. Right. But uh, I guess we're not here to talk about, what we wish was in the movie for best performance. Um, my best performance. Uh, it, uh, oh, wait, we have the same one. We, yeah. Go for it. Uh, we both went with hamster. Um, yeah. Skylar Brooks, Skylar Brooks as hamster. Um, I will just kind of reiterate that. I think that the character as a role, as a, perf- not, not a performance, but as a role, feels like it should have been done by a kid more um just to have that kind of illusionary and like kind of like a like a blurred world view right like almost like believing in santa right like it just feels like it's not meant to be an adult who should have a little bit more logic that being said his delivery is flawless throughout the movie and he does things that nobody else could really do in this movie yeah no his his charisma um his portrayal of the character um his ability to carry scenes with some heavy hitters he did a fantastic job and i can't wait to see what he does next he was great okay uh so what was your best line but before i get to best line we had a second honorable mention and that again was screen time that was paul Shear as krieg right we agreed he doesn't really fit in the movie because he's not as well he's not as grounded as the other characters are but he's much more realistic um would have loved to seen a lot more of him a definite second honorable mention but yeah sorry moving on memorable line for me i had alluded to earlier on uh we were uh talking about hamster's first encounter with max fist yes and you uh, just at- told us that he says something but you didn't say what, because you didn't want to spoil it. Yeah, and this is right after he abandons the blue meatballs and gets some street meat. Sees Max punching a wall in an alley, a brick wall, and he just says, "Hey, what the wall ever do to you, man? Uh, I bet it owes you money, huh?" 
Uh, that wall is an asshole, man. It deserves what's coming to him. <laughs> and it's just, it's great. At that point, I 100% am in love with this character. I'm completely hooked. There's a weird innocence, uh, a, a sense of like trying to sound tough and funny and impressive. And this is what I'm saying. He was able to do stuff that nobody else was in that he's also delivering that line with almost like a shaky voice. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's he's nervous. He, in one line delivery, is comedic, is hesitant, and shaky. Like, he just portrays so much with so little in that one scene. Yeah, that's great. That wasn't my best line. However, it is the same character continuing to show his range and delivering a much more somber line, which I have a chance to say properly here. Um, (laughs) The problem is I don't have it in front of me anymore. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, um, However, it is the voiceover when uh, they abandon Max and he says that... um, I, you're going to have to help me. You have it written down because you actually read it when we were doing the scene. Yeah, I'm getting there. Oh, God, all the way at the end. Sorry, there's a lot of notes I have to scroll through. It's all right, man. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for me anyway. So, I don't even know where it is in here. Control F, man. Max Hero, or Max Fist, Broken Hero. A dream that never ends. It's broken. God, I have too many keyboards on this. <laughs> I'll cut all this out. Uh, yes. Uh, Max, a uh, broken hero, uh, man alone, a dream that never ends. Um, then says his goodbye, Hamster City is closing down. So, and this is the situation where it's like the one time in the movie that we see Hamster not endlessly enthusiastic and hopeful And we see this kind of feeling of dread of like the dream being, you know, he says the dream that never ends, but for him, it's dying. It's, it's like he discovered that Santa's not real and he's given up on, I mean, the entirety of the hamster city, like you said, was the social like presence that he had built. And it almost represented his fandom or his belief in Max Fist as being genuinely a superhero, like he says. And by closing it down, he's almost saying, you know, like Terminator 2, Judgment Day, no hope, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the end of what what it could have been. And quite frankly, it yeah. might have been a better ending for the movie. Yeah. Um, what did you have for favorite moment or scene? Um, even though I don't like the ending of this movie, um, my favorite scene uh, is at the very end. Uh, the shot that's looking down at the broken bodies of Max and Cleo on the pavement and how the blood is pooled around both of their bodies, how Cleo's red blood has formed half of a heart and Max's blue blood is just a splattered mess. Um, It really sums up the fact that he got away from himself and her and what she wanted And more than anything in the world, what she wanted was to bring him back down to ground level and make him realize who he used to be and who they used to be. And ending up 
us having to look at Max as a potential hero and her as the villain when all she wanted was things to be how they were and to save people. I thought it was great. Uh, a perfect, brilliant point of an unfortunately terrible ending to a movie. Uh, I went with the scene with Krieg. Um, could be Paul Shear fandom. Uh, could be the delivery was actually, you know, deserving of it. Uh but I think it was just how out there the scene was when he shot himself. Because yeah. you, you get this very tense scene where he's telling her to play Russian roulette after being insulted that she didn't take the drugs. And like, there's just, there's, it's, you know, he's got the, he, like, he's laughing and he's psycho, right? But there's a very tense scene. She's sitting there. She's, she's in the chair. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know how to react. And then all of a sudden he just starts laughing and the kind of mood breaks and he shoots himself. Yeah. And then there's almost like a second where even like Indigo's sitting there. It's like, did, did that just really happen? <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah. It was too short. It was, but I think that, uh, well, I mean, if you mean his appearance in total, but I mean the actual yeah. act of him shooting himself, if that happened after like a series of, him being in multiple scenes and a recurring character, but that was just the end of it. The way that it happened, just kind of like tense, laughing, stunned silence. Did that really just, okay, I'm out of here now. Uh, yeah, it was a really well done scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's get into a bit more of a condensed um, final thoughts. Sure. Um, I really liked this movie when I first watched it, but after taking the time to sit down and spend a few hours watching it while making notes, uh, it really took a lot of the fun out of the movie. Um, it's a, a perfect 90 minutes for the story. That's great. Um, it's a quick watch. It's a fun watch. But unfortunately, if you start to really analyze any of it, it falls apart pretty quickly. So if you do watch it, watch it with an open mind. Um, I'll watch it again sometime down the road, but not for a long time. Um, I would recommend watching it to see the beginning of what could have been an amazing movie, but in doing so, you're going to watch a disaster of an ending for what could have been an amazing movie. So, so This is where you and I differ in that uh, I don't like the feeling of false hope that yeah. a brilliant beginning to a movie gives because I think that it just serves to um, amplify the disappointment when the ending is so flat. Um, so as much as, uh, and, and I know you and I have watched enough movies at this point that I don't think you've heard me call a movie brilliant too many times. No. I was on the cusp of calling this movie brilliant until the ending and then the ending disappointed me so much that like a, a show that gets canceled prematurely on a cliffhanger and you just can't recommend it because you know that people will never get the proper resolution that they want or need. Mm -hmm. I can't recommend it. I can't. I just can't leave people feeling that uh, disappointment and wanting that I felt. Um, like the, if the ending of the movie was, like I said, you know, 
it was all an illusion in his head or he knew exactly what he was doing and he had planned the whole thing to have Cleo killed because that was the one thing that was anchoring his powers and now it's revealed that he's a villain and the you know indigo and hamster have actually doomed the city by doing it and you have a bad ending and maybe a better opening for a sequel that would have been better but what we got just leaves so much to 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 be desired that i can't recommend it yeah and i totally understand where you're coming from it's a shame it really is all right so before we get to next week let's do a cheap social media plug we are on twitter at bs bargain bin we are on facebook at facebook.com slash bs bargain bin and you can hit us up by email bsbargainbin at outlook.com hit us up we are approachable people if you want to talk about your thoughts on the movie your picks for the awards if you just want to ask us some questions we're a couple of nice canadian boys let us know okay next week is our first fan pick of 2022 and as voted by the twitter fans after all of the submissions were entered we are going to be watching thanks to mike cote Money plane. You a gambling man, Jack? Not anymore. Once a gambling man, always a gambling man. Let's go, let's go! You bet everything you have. Toss up a coin. One side. You, your family, live the life they always dreamed of. On the other side, you lose. Everything. You owed a lot of money to some very bad people. So I bought your debt. Now you're gonna have to repay me that debt. Can we just get to the job? It's a legend in the underworld. To those who know, it's the money plane. A bulletproof casino in the sky, untouchable by any government agency. Whatever you want to wager on, the money plane has you covered. Russian roulette. Or it is they carry up to a billion on board in crypto and millions in cash. I want you and your crew to take down the house. That's insane. Yeah. Heck, might even be a good time. Now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare for takeoff. We have control of the cockpit. You're dead! Your families are all dead! You, your crew, and everyone you ever met! Dead! By the time you touch down! Now bring me my money! Until next week, guys, have a good one. All the best, guys.